Hello again, Church of the Beloved. Uh, my name is Pastor Abe, uh, and I serve our Wicker Park campus. Um, I really wanted to welcome you. I'm really glad that you're joining us today virtually. Today, we're going to wrap up the series that we started back in August, The Gospel According to Exodus. Now, as I mentioned, traditionally today is the start of the Advent season, but we wanted to finalize and close out our Exodus series, and I figured, you know, doing an Advent-focused sermon series uh, for the three weeks in December, that, that should be fine. It's three days, three weeks, three Sundays. It's a holy number, so we're, that's what we decided to do. But before we get into today's message, I, I just want to make a quick reminder announcement for folks that as of next week, we're going to be switching from our two live streams, which are at 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., to just one live stream at the 10 a.m. service. So after that 10 a.m. service concludes, uh, the live stream is going to be uploaded to YouTube and it's going to be available there on demand. So anyway, I want to ask if you wouldn't mind joining with me in a word of prayer so that we can dive into the scripture this morning. Let's pray. Precious Father, God, you are sovereign and you are mighty. And we gather together because you have called us to worship you, to give you all the honor and all the glory. May the words that come out of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone, God. May your spirit speak through me now. I lift this prayer up to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, thanks to Ellen for reading from today's passage today. And that passage concludes the story of Exodus. And to adequately consider what we might be able to learn from this last paragraph of the gospel as was made evident by Israel's redemption from Egypt, their exodus, we need to go back and recap where we've come from, just to set some context, especially if you're joining us for the first time today. I'm going to go back to Genesis. Back in Genesis, you read the story of Abram, whom God later renamed Abraham. And God makes a promise or enters into a covenant with Abraham. And I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. There it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Going a little bit further on in Genesis chapter 17, God clarifies further the details of this covenant that God is making with Abraham. Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 to 8, read this. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So this people group that originated from Abraham, they continue to grow in size, and, and their name is now, they're called Israelites. And they're named after Abraham's grandson, Jacob, uh, who was also known as Israel. So he, 
Jacob had 12 sons, and that would eventually comprise the 12 tribes of Israel. So the sons of Israel, with their family, about 70 of them, uh, all moved to Egypt because of a famine. It's a whole other story that we're not going to get into right now. I, I want to just say this, though. The journey from Abraham to Egypt is an amazingly intricate plan that only God could have put together. So we fast forward now about 400 years, and we come to Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. And here we see things have been going pretty well for the children of Israel. In chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I said, things are going well, but unfortunately, things take an ugly turn. And we are now introduced to one of the most villainous of villains in the Bible. A paranoid despot, this this pharaoh of Egypt. By by the way, Moses couldn't even be bothered to write his name down. Anyways, this paranoid pharaoh thinks that the Israelites are out to get him. So he starts this whole campaign of infanticide. He goes forward and moves towards enslaving all the Israelites. And chapters 1 through 18 are all about how God redeems the people of Israel from the evil clutches of these Egyptian pharaohs. And chapter 15 has this amazing summary, this great song of praise. It summarizes what God's done for Israel. I'm going to read that whole song. It starts in the second half of verse 1, chapter 15. It says, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill, then I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Eden dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. 
the Lord will reign forever and ever. I'm not exactly sure what kind of tune it was. I'm sure it was pretty catchy. In my head, I was switching between like a Sarah Bareilles or a country song because it's a, it's a storytelling song. Regardless, it was good enough to be written down and captured in the Bible. And I, I think it's a beautiful summary of how God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. And now we come to the mountain that is mentioned in verse 17, Mount Sinai. And I do want to mention, if you have not taken the opportunity to dive into these first 19 chapters on your own, it might be worth taking uh, a second look. Not only does this redemption story of the Israelites point to a promise that was made to the patriarchs of Israel, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it also intentionally conjures up images and allusions to the creation story. Let me give you an example. The plagues that God used to break down Pharaoh, God is basically reversing what he had done at the very beginning. See, in the beginning, God created good things from the chaos with a simple word. And so now God creates chaos from good things simply by letting Moses, Aaron speak. If you dive deep, one can also see the connection to the Christian redemption story as well. The the, the one that is for all of God's elect, his chosen, is foreshadowed in this story of the Israelites' redemption. Simple example, the blood of the lamb alone saves God's chosen ones from death. There is beautiful imagery of the recreation, of, of the rebirth, that if you haven't had a chance to look into, it might be worth, worth it. But coming back to chapter 19, we're now at Mount Sinai, and here we go from the redemption of Israel to the covenant with Israel. And and consider this. Up to this point, God's been doing all the work in this covenant relationship. It it was his promise to Abraham to make them a holy nation, to set them apart. It was was God's response to to the Israel's crying out for redemption. So God did the work first, and then we come to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, And we see that God is requesting a commitment from the people of Israel as part of this covenant relationship. In in chapter 19, verse 5, in the first half of verse 6, it says this, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, to be set apart, to become a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. God provides the law, and God provided the tabernacle. And that's what chapters 20 to 40 cover. Basically, guidance on how to live holy lives, instructions on how to create a holy space, and directions to spend holy time with God. That's what God spells out in those 20 chapters. And so, so this book is now coming to a close. And the story of Israel's journey, it moves on to the next chapter. The journey to the promised land, to Canaan, starts with God putting everything in place for this nation, this chosen nation by God. If you look at Leviticus and Numbers, the next few books in the Bible, it tells of this journey, which would become a much messier thing than one would have expected, but again, that's a story for another day. Today, we're going to look at an understanding that during that journey 
to the promised land. During and throughout scripture, the story of God's redemption of Israel, the story of their exodus, this is something that is remembered constantly. The prophets, the psalmists, even Jesus' disciples, they all remind the redeemed of this story, a story that God's plan will never be thwarted, a reminder that nothing gets in God's way. So finally, we get to today's passage that was read. And we find here in these last five verses, there's nothing new. There's no new lesson, no new concept, but it's, it's a conclusion. It's a reminder to the people of Israel, to this, to this holy nation that's been set apart to be a royal priesthood. That's why I wanted to spend the majority of today's time just reviewing, uh, looking at what we saw in this gospel according to Exodus. And Moses, in writing this book, sums up the purpose of the story, I think, by reminding his listeners, his readers, that God is holy and God is here. Verse 35 says this, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of God, glory of the Lord, filled the tabernacle. And last week I mentioned, and remember, that the tabernacle is a place where God dwells. It is a holy space that God sanctified and filled with his holy presence. And, and the holiness of God is made fully evident in this space, in this tabernacle. And, and Moses' inability to enter into this holy space, it's not an indictment of Moses' shortcoming, though he has more than a few. And it's not a return of God's wrath or anger. God, God's already shown his willingness to accept the penitence, the repentance of Israel and of Moses. They built a tabernacle. He, he'd already shown the people that he would continue to love these broken ones of Israel. I mean, he gave them another copy of the law, the tablets of the law. The covenant promise between God and his chosen people, it was still in place. There were absolutely consequences to their sin, the golden calf thing. There were consequences, but this did not remove their standing as his beloved children. Now, Moses not being able to enter the tent of meeting is because God's holy. And so entering into God's holy space has to be and had to be on God's terms, the terms that he had laid out uh, in the instructions that he had passed along to Moses and the people of Israel. See, ultimately, God's holiness is a boundary that even Moses was not exempt from. God's holiness, it requires a distance that even Moses, the, the chosen redeemer of Israel, he could not bridge it. It wasn't residue uh, Guilt, it wasn't wrath from the golden calf thing. I mean, the tabernacle had been built and God's holiness had settled on this place and Moses is not able to enter because God was and God is holy and Moses is not. From a gospel perspective, from the tie back to the New Testament is this, God is holy. God was and is and will always be holy. Holy, and we must enter into the holy presence of God on God's terms. In this Exodus story, those terms did not include allowing Moses, again, God's chosen mediator, by, uh, to be able to enter into that holy space by himself. But in Jesus, 
the better Moses, the perfect and final mediator. Not only is he who is the son of God able to enter into the holy presence of God, but so am I, so are, are we. You see, the glory of God fills the temple and because of Jesus, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we are now the temple. We are the tabernacle of God. We are made holy because the holiness of God dwells within us because the Spirit of God tabernacles with us. So not only is God reminding the reader that God is holy, but that God is here. Verse 34 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And again, I won't go deep into the whole tabernacle and its purpose. I preached on that last week, but I want to summarize one main point. You see, God leads his beloved to build a tabernacle, an imperfect representation of the perfect cosmic temple that God had created in the beginning and perfected in Christ. He did this so that God could dwell, live with his chosen people, with his chosen nation, and he wanted to be there with his people. So God's telling the people of Israel, when that cloud comes down on the tabernacle, he's saying, I'm home, I'm here. See, God demonstrated his presence with his people, using a cloud throughout their journey. Um, If I turn to chapter 13, verse 21, it reads this. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. Going over to 14, verse 24, it says there, In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptians' forces into a panic. Chapter 16, verse 10, it reads this, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. These are just a few examples of of a cloud representing God. You see, the cloud is a constant reminder that God was with them when they left Egypt, that God is with them at Mount Sinai. And, And now... It comes to live on top of the tabernacle. God is reminding the people of Israel that he is here. God is still with his people. Again, this is after the whole golden calf thing. It's it's a beautiful act of grace by God so that his beloved might remember they're still his beloved. God is here because God forgives You see, this ending paragraph is Moses reminding his intended audience, God is holy. And though that holiness created created a distance between Moses, God's chosen redeemer, and God, that same holiness gap is bridged now by by the redemption that Jesus affords those who recognize his salvific, his redemptive act on the cross. And this final passage of the gospel according to Exodus is a reminder that God is here. That precious, that gracious, beautiful reminder gave the beloved children of Israel hope as they started their journey to the land of God's promise. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way back up here. I want to end today's message. God is holy and God is here. And the fullness of this reality is afforded to those who who hear and recognize 
the voice of the final mediator, the ultimate redeemer, the son of God. And if this is you, if, if you are one who recognizes the better Moses in the person of Jesus Christ and, ha- and have said, yes, Jesus is my redeemer and I will be transformed by him. This is a reminder to you that God is holy and God is here with you. See, God has taken that holy space that, that was once in the center of Israel, the tabernacle, and he moved it to the center of you. This is a reminder to you that because of Jesus, you are holy. Because of the Spirit of God, you are not alone in this journey. You know, the cloud once resided above the tabernacle. Now it resides within you. And like the Israelites' journey to the promised land, our journey to our promised land, the upside-down kingdom, the heaven above, like their journey, God is leading the way. This is the way. By the way, if this is not you, but you would like to understand what this might look like for you, to understand what it means to have a holy and present God transform you and lead you, I'm going to ask you, please reach out. You can, you can text COTB to 97000 or you can email me. Either way, we'd love to show you what it means to have a holy God who is in your life here and present with you.